Oh, oh. When was the last time we did this? Oh. Tuesday? Yeah, that sounds about right. I'll say okay. this. I'm more inspired about these two films tonight than I am about the ones last week. I was expecting you to be, too. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I didn't know we were going to bring some top shelf stuff to the show tonight, but Listen, here we are. Occasionally... You just got. We just got. I just got to bring the heat, and you just. You just got to. You know, not, not know about it. You know. Yeah, you're not wrong. And both of these movies, in their own way, did that. I think they both brought literal heat. I guess. It's true. Yeah. You think about it. One would say one of them brought the most hot thing possible. Almost. I guess you could say nuclear. They did explore the nuclear option in one of them. Yes. They. They did. We'll get into it. End of your movie. Now you want more. Now you want more. Need all your insights, Welcome, everybody, to TWGTF, or as everybody knows it, from the fictional town Richmond to the real town Los Angeles. This is Two White Guys Talking Film. I'm, of course, one of your hosts, Ben. And I'm Tyler. How are you, buddy? I'm good. Like I said, spring cleaning. I was talking to Ben before we started. Uh, may have may have done something to my back. Luckily, oh, no. I have the next two days off, so... I don't, it was nothing major. It was just, you know, like I think I strained it or twisted it or something. So now I got to lie down for a little bit and uh, I'll be fine. Well, you take it easy, buddy. I will. Yeah. Probably what's going to be best. Yeah, that's probably what's going to be best. And speaking of best, what what is the best thing you saw this week? That's a very good question. Um, I saw a... Uh, new-ish film um i might have referenced it last week but i saw a movie called pacifiction when i asked ben if yeah i gave him the option to pick two the other one was knock at the cabin this is the other one i watched it is from 2020 um though i think i'm going to slot it in the best of the 2023s because it's technically american release fits in that timeline it's it's you know movies are stupid but um it is a movie by the director albert sura who some might know um, as the director of the death of Louis the Sixteenth and the story of my death, and uh, most recently a movie called Liberty, which was a lot of people talked about how there's a lot of sex in that movie. Um, no sex in this movie, just a lot of people in boardrooms talking. Interesting. Is it good? I think it's good. It's really good. Um, like I said, probably going to end up on the best of my horror, not best of horror decade, although they, there's some horror in it. I'm going to end up on the best of my uh, 2023. Um, 
unless there are roughly nine movies better than it. That's a pretty we'll high see. bar. It's pretty high. Right now, um, it is my... Uh, it, it's not my favorite, but it is, you know, it's the one I've probably thought about the most. Hmm. Oh, yeah, that is pretty high praise. Um, let's see, what else would be on that list for you? Skinamarink. Skinamarink. Um, uh, here's scream, just what's... Scream bouncing. 6. Yes, here's, yes, Scream 6. Here's just what's <laughs> bouncing around. Um, we have Scream 6, May Thregan, Sick, Knock at the Cabin. That might be another one. I'm gonna let that I'm gonna let that fucking siren go by. Sort by newest release date first. Um oh infinity pool. Mm, my it depends on a rewatch. Probably rewatch that suit, but Infinity Pool is the only other 2023 movie I have seen. Well, there you go. Yeah, but Mithrigan. I mean, how can you not? How who can forget Mithrigan? And you know, it's weird. We're both talking about 2023 movies. My my most interesting or best thing I saw this week comes from 2023. For real? Yeah. And let me tell you something, man. Not only is this movie really entertaining, it's actually scientifically accurate. Because apparently 65 million years ago, Earth had a visitor. <laughs> Okay, it does, is the is this movie just like a like a like a feature length Twilight Zone riff? Is that like what we? It it one hundred percent is a feature length Twilight Zone riff, but also okay. like someone came up to me at work yesterday and they were buying tickets. They're like, "Have you seen it?" I'm like, "I saw it last night." They said, "Is it good?" I'm like, "I'm like, do you want to watch Adam Driver whoop dinosaur ass for ninety minutes?" And they're like, "Yeah," and I was like, "You're gonna be fine." I was like, "Go enjoy." This might be like a day off. Or uh, it's a perfect day off movie. Just like exactly an early morning, like movie pass it kind of kind of vibe. It's it's got moments in it too where like you can see that Sam Raimi produced this because it's got moments where like humor comes out of nowhere and just kind of bitch slaps you in the mouth. The guy who directed is he directed something else that is not like similar. But, um, oh, it's two guys, Scott Beck and Brian Woods. What did, oh, A Quiet Place. They wrote A Quiet Place. Okay. Hmm. Yeah. But they directed got... Nightlight and Haunt. So. Sure. I like Haunt. Haunt's, Haunt's all right. Ooh, Haunt has a watch terrifying Haunt? cover. I think I've seen Haunt. If not, I will watch Haunt because my wife constantly talks about how Haunt is good. Maybe we need to bring bring her on for, like I said, man, it's 93 minutes long. And also, too, as dumb as the premise is, Adam Driver is such an exceptional actor. There's just moments where you're like, yeah, I buy this. I buy this is happening to him. I buy this. I buy it. I buy that for a dollar. Exactly. Ugh. So, yeah, 65. Go see it. 65, also the median age of uh, any person in um, that movie theater. That's not true. That took a that took a lot for me to get out. That took it was a, a good lot. joke, though. It was, it was well-crafted. Yeah, no, it was good. Thank you, thank you. Yeah. Sometimes my brain works. 
Yeah, absolutely. Oh, Other times it just in goes to hell. Roughly 15 minutes after this uh, this episode ends, it's no longer going to be working. No, oh, yeah? Yeah. No, I'm gonna be... That bong out there? Better watch out, baby. <laughs> she owes me money. Uh, you know what movie I didn't find exceptional that I watched this week? What? Yeah, go for it. Have you watched 16 Candles? You know, I have. I'm going to be really honest with you. It's been a while since I've seen it. I don't remember much of it. I do remember not loving it. It was like the first brick in the, the house that I have built that is essentially, wait, man, this John Hughes guy is not very good. Or like, yeah, I don't really like much of these guys' movies. I think it was like kind of the cornerstone. Now, I agree with you that the movie is not very good. In fact, I think there is, per, I think it is potentially maybe his worst work. I am not going to sign off on the John Hughes is not good because that right after this, he makes a stone cold masterpiece in the breakfast club. I'm not a big fan of the breakfast club. I think my favorite John Hughes is probably Ferris Bueller's day off. Oh yeah. Um, I, but the, the thing about it is I still will always just be like, man, my movie would be a lot better. If Ferris Bueller wasn't just the fucking worst dude. Oh Yeah. But Sixteen Candles, I think, has all of the bad aspects of a John Hughes movie with none of the none of the good. Yeah, I, I understand what you mean there. It's it's blatantly racist. It is. Long Duck Dong has aged particularly poorly. Oh, um, I would say it wasn't good at the time, but it has it's you know, it's like watching a, just a volcano in your rear view. You're like, I. it's bad. It's real bad back there. It's only getting closer. Well, it's one of those things where it's like, so I, so yesterday, I worked 12 days yesterday. We opened early because we were doing an opera, and they decided to run other shows earlier. And the classic movie this week is 16 Candles. And I was just like, yeah, fuck it. I haven't seen 16 Candles. It's on my list for this year. And I like went down early and sat in there and watched it. it's 90 minutes long, which is nice, but it's like, Jesus Christ. It just, it doesn't play. It's not just that. It's like the other humor and it doesn't play either. Like, it's probably the thing. If I think you, if John Hughes were alive today, he'd be like, yeah, I don't really talk about that one. What's, what's weird is growing up um, and being like, kind, like kind of locked into movies. It was like not untouchable, but it just played all the time. Yeah. Like, like, I don't think, I don't think people were like, oh, we love this movie. But unlike Pretty in Pink and unlike, I mean, Breakfast Club played all the time. But like, unlike, like, Adventures in Babysitting and some of the, 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 the stuff that I think holds up better. It was just like, always, 60 Candles was like always on. And I don't understand why. Like it's got like is, four iconic scenes in it that have completely, no pun intended, whitewashed everything else about it. Is it literally just like people just like dip into just can dip into it and then dip out? Yeah. When it gets racist, like it's incredibly rewatchable. Is the problem too? Like it's got like it's not even really a movie. It's mostly just a bunch of scenes kind of sewn together with one thing. Like 
that's that's it. It's interesting. I I, I it's definitely. I don't know if it's a movie I've actually seen all the way from beginning to end. Like I don't think I ever sat down and, or I might have. But if it, if it was, it was a long time ago. But, um, I think I've mostly, much like a lot of other movies, seen it. Uh, uh, like that time period. Um, no, like a lot of movies that played a lot on like TBS and Comedy Central and stuff like that. I think I've seen you know, 15 minute bits and pieces, <laughs> um, throughout most of my life. Um, but that's the one with the house party where the girl falls asleep in the car, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's, yeah. Not great. No, that's no. not the only weird consent thing in a John Hughes movie, right? No, it's not. All right. No, it's not. That's enough of that. I don't want to talk about it anymore. Um, yeah, Six and Candles. Not as good as you remember. Hell of a way to put it, too. Yeah. Well, good. I'm glad we could get that out, because I caught an acre of S from, like, several different people in my life about that. People, because it's they think it's unpeachable. They think it's unpeachable, because it's a movie that came out when either they were young or a movie that they've just been able to watch and rewatch into the fucking ground. And so they're like, it can't possibly be bad. It's something I liked when I was five. Um, and let me tell you, like, there's a lot of things that you just, you grow up and you're like, oof, oof, that shit either did not age particularly well or you're just old and you're just like, oh, okay. It's fine to, to watch something and be nostalgic for it and for a period of time and get, like, you know, balled up into those emotions. That's totally fine. I there's a lot of movies that I watch that aren't. I wouldn't say great, but that have a resonance emotionally to me. Yeah, I'm I'm not gonna disagree with you. I feel the exact same way. And it's weird. Like a bunch of the stuff I I liked when I was younger, nothing's really aged particularly bad for me. So I don't know if that's just like I was kind of able to see the same thing I was seeing now then, but like. I don't know. What's like the thing you like the most that people are just like, really? A big one is Major League um, and not just like the big first one, like the weird spinoff sequels um, like Major League 2 and Back to the Miners. Like I've seen all of them so often. Um, and, you know, I love like John claude Van Damme and like Bloodsport and I even like Steven Seagal movies. Like you know, like, I kind of like these things that typically wouldn't be the thing that I'm into. So it's, 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 it's hard because, I mean, I like, I'm trying to think of like a Breakfast Club-esque thing where I'm like, yeah, the, there's some stuff in it that's not great that, you know, but I like it. Cause I'm, cause I watched it when I was a child. <laughs> I'm sure that if I watched like every cartoon from when I was a child that I have very fond memories of, I'd be like, that is not aged particularly well. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Oh, oh, actually I have one. It's not that I like it. It's, it's just that I've grown up and I remember it being, I remember it be, not being as bad. And then, um, I, I'm now an adult and I realize that it is actually very bad. There was an old Hanna, I used to watch a bunch of Hanna-Barbera cartoons. They would play on Boomerang all the time. And so I could like chain 
like Scooby-Doo into Wacky Racers into, the, you know, like uh, Scooby-Doo knockoff. And the thing is, is that they pl- they mostly played the ones that were well-remembered. There's a lot of Hanna-Barbera cartoons that you will never see because they're either terrible or they no longer own the rights or um, et cetera. Or they're just like a rip off of something they've already done. I think there was one that I, I did watch. It was Dune Buggy, where it was basically just Scooby-Doo, but the Scooby-Doo was a talking Dune Buggy. And the character archetypes were pretty much the same, but like kind of like some, I think a couple were gender flipped and it, it it's, they did that like six or seven different times trying to just like, let's make a Scooby-Doo, but like, no. Well, there was Jabberjaw, which was the one with the shark. Jabberjaw, I mean, yeah, that's, there, there's. Yeah, Jabberjaw, there was Dune, but there was Dune Buggy. Dune Buggy. I swear to um, and, God, there. I think Josie and the Pussycats like was kind of an amalgamation too of it. Josie and the Pussycats, I think, was more of an Archie's riff, right? Uh, Isn't Josie and the Pussycats like like a spinoff of the Archie? Okay, I think you're we're right. Actually, weeds. we're getting in the weeds here. Um, but what I'm trying to say is that there was a cartoon called Hong Kong Fooey, um, which was a dog. And it was it was very racist. Came out around the time like Bruce Lee was popular in the West, and like karate became popular, and the song everybody was kung fu fighting was like a hit. And I think it was trying to like capitalize off that. But I rem I just was like sitting down and I was just like, oh yeah, like like let's watch the Hong Kong Fui intro. And I was like, holy shit, this is fucking racist. Like. Like, like to the point to where I was just like, this is surprise. This is like shockingly, <laughs> upsettingly racist. Um, and I was, I like couldn't even get through like the intro of an episode. You're not talking about America's number one super guy, right? Not that Hong Kong fooey, because I won't hear a word against him. It's one of those things where. It was fine until people started using the, like, Asian accent. And I was like, mm. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, mm. And then there was a lot of, there was a lot of, like, jokes that are just like, this person's Asian. And I was like, okay, that's enough of this. There's a lot of that stuff. It's just not yeah. particularly great. Well, there you go. Yeah, guys. So, what was your movie of the week again? Uh, pa- uh, Pacifiction. Pacifiction and 65. Those movies are worth watching, guys. The other things we've mentioned, take your own chances. Do not rewatch Hong Kong Fury. You know, or do. Whatever. Or you do. It was a critical yeah. eye. Yeah, exactly. Ah. Uh, but not tonight. We're not talking about those. Tonight we're talking about two movies. Where'd you find these movies? These are two cult movies. Clearly. The, neither of them did very good. One of them effectively kind of ended the person who made its career. Um, and we'll talk about that. Um, the other, Yeah, sadly. Uh, the other movie, uh, the other guy, you know, he went on to have a long, long career making a bunch of stuff, so... And he's who we're going to talk about first. Yes. Oh, it's me. 
Yeah, it's it's okay. Yeah. It's me. All right. So the first film is a neo noir rock musical film co-written by Hill and Larry Gross. Um, and the opening credits describe it as a rock and roll fable. That's because this movie is not necessarily taking place in the 50s, but taking place in a time when the 50s continued in perpetuity. The movie labels it another time, another place. Ellen Aim, the lead singer of Ellen Aim and the Attackers, has uh, returned. She's not returned home from a concert. She just is kidnapped during a concert. And this fucking Wikipedia article is just wrong. All right, whatever. She is kidnapped by a group of bikers called the Bombers, which are led by Willem Dafoe, brother of the main character, Tom Cody. Reva Cody writes to him and gets Tom back in town to rescue and save the day. This is, of course, 1984, Walter Hill joined Streets of Fire. Jesus, Ellen, am I glad to see you? I thought you were gone forever. Cody, get in this ain't no time for checking out the sights. Take off. I'm going to run these guys for a while. I'm staying with You're you. You're not going with him. You stay in the car. Stay with your boyfriend. McCoy, meet me at the Grand Street underpass. Right. We don't see you, Cody. Have a nice life. someone that likes to play as rough as I do. Yeah, this must be your lucky night. I'm lucky? I guess maybe I am. But you're dumb. Real dumb if you think you can pull this off. I think you're forgetting something. I got the gun. I can get guns, smart guy. Lots of them. Now, why don't you tell me your name? Tom Cody. Pleased to meet you. I'll be coming for her. And I'll be coming for you, too. Sure you will. And I'll be waiting. So whoever controls Diane Lane's character controls the universe. Is that how this works? I, you know... There's not, like, a whole lot of, like, listen, 
this movie <sighs> all right i'm gonna explain how i the way i feel about this movie so i think this movie is essentially an old person that grew up during the 50s which would be walter hill tapping into a form of um, old school american masculinity that like really appeals to young male children children and attempting to make it seem not just real but good and trying to like smooth over some of its edges even though like the movie itself knows that that is not entirely good like the movie is like constantly fighting itself with its main character it's very interesting where it wants the main character to seem very cool at all times and yet there's like this it's like a it it is very much like a male masculine power fantasy and the movie kind of is kind of like a fairy tale within that sense does that make sense? Are those words coming together? Actually, it's kind of amazing what you just said there. And once everyone hears it back and listens again, they'll understand why from what I'm going to say. When I was watching this movie yesterday, I watched this movie before I had to go to work. And I was sitting there and as it was reaching its final like 10 to 15 minutes which i'll say this too both of these movies are ridiculously well paced like they don't have a budget to waste and they don't waste that budget that they have no but i sat there and i was like oh this is like if someone made a 50s movie in the 80s yes i think the movie like dips into a lot of american iconography obviously like it's a movie kind of like a send-up of the 50s but a lot of the iconography is sort of rubs against one another in like a really interesting way so you'll have Mm -hmm. like a diner and you'll have like the city streets they feel right out of a like like late fritz lang movie like it feels like the sets were shot on the same set that Scarlet Street was shot on. Like, it's very strange to me. I don't know why that was what I was getting, but I was like, this, like, simultaneously looks like um, an old-school fucking neo-noir. Or, not neo-noir, just an old-school noir. And simultaneously, like, it takes place in the same universe as Little Shop of Horrors. Like, I don't understand... <laughs> like how they did that with such little budget it's neon lit everything is this fucking just bright gay 80s color and yet this all of the set design feels extremely period period accurate which is just i think an incredible feat of of set design of writing of of just like just like having a feel for what that world is i just don't think you see it a lot in i mean any movie really well you know and it's funny too because if you were to look at this movie and you were to say to yourself okay 
the guy who made The Warriors made this movie. You would almost guess that this movie came before The Warriors because it doesn't feel as nearly flushed out. Like, it's weird. I would have thought this was easily before The Warriors. And then you look at it, you're like, no, it was almost like half a decade after The Warriors. And it feels like, and I wrote this in my review, it says, truly feels like a movie that got financed off the back of some wide-eyed studio or producer saying, wait, the guy who made The Warriors wants to make another gang picture? Where do we sign? It was, I think, it was it was Walter and Larry Gross, and this is writing partner at the time, cashing in the chips they got from 48 Hours. Makes sense. Which, 48 Hours... One- is a great movie, um, and it made uh, $78 million on a $12 million budget and was, like, God the damn. first big Eddie Murphy movie uh, uh, as a result. They didn't get a lot of money for this movie, but what I think they got was freedom to kind of do what they wanted. This definitely feels like a one-for-them picture, doesn't it? It really does. It's just like, oh, okay, well, we kind of didn't understand 48 Hours when you were making it, but it came out and did really well. So, like, just just do it. Um, and, uh, yeah, I think that's why I think that's why this movie is really fucking weird. Because yet, it is not the weirdest movie that we're going to talk about tonight. Absolutely not, no. (laughs) There's a reason why this is the first one. This is the the Leon Fitter. I I gotta tell you, buddy, I thought it was going to be hard for you to top uh, the Come and See and the Ascent double. You might have done it. Listen, I got more. When I'm allowed to just pick whatever I want, I can kind of come up. I can kind of come up with some decent doubles. Um, I really do like it when you're not inhibited by like a theme. It's just like, yeah, just pick two. I don't know. You'll come up with something together. Pick- and these two fit remarkably well together. I'm gonna be honest. I think there was a new Beverly double feature that I kind of copied. I don't. I'm not entirely sure if I'm remembering that right. If I came up with it naturally, or if I saw someone else come up with it. But I, it's been a double that I've wanted to do for a while. It's a lot of fun. Um, and it's just, it's absolutely batshit insane. It is. It's the, it is a double feature that works because both movies, I originally the idea was cult movies with good soundtracks. Like that is like what, <laughs> that is what my brain was like. What is, what would that look like? And I was like, oh, Streets of Fire. And then I was like, oh, Miracle Mile. Boom. Easy. <laughs> I love Walter Done. Hill. It's it's just another movie of his I like. Like I don't know if I've seen a bad Walter Hill movie yet. I the thing about Walter Hill is I, I there's movies that I'm definitely like The Assignment is definitely a movie where I'm like that's gonna leave a bad taste in my mouth if I ever watch that. But I feel like with each of his movies, I I would probably walk away being like that's yeah, a Walter Hill movie. Some good, some bad, some in the middle. But, you know, not unlike another guy who I'm starting to get through almost all of his movies in Francis Ford Coppola, you can tell the man just really enjoys doing what he does. Yes, which is sometimes he makes a movie like Extreme Prejudice, which is like a neo-Western starring Nick Nolte. And other times he makes a movie like uh, the one he followed that up with, which is Red Heat. It's a movie starring Arnold Schwarzenegger and Jim Belushi. 
I never forget that when I sat in the movie Nomads, I said to myself, this is the man who will direct Predator, and we will have Jean-Claude Van Damme play the Predator. It's, he really did have a wild career. Who, Arnold Schwarzenegger? Yes, and, but I meant Walter Hill. Oh, him too. Well, I mean, Walter Hill also co-writes Alien. Like, it's pretty fucking wild. That's true. Like, the, yeah, Walter Hill's almost the Forrest Gump of, like, 80s cinema, where it's just, like, it's kind of funny when he pops up. Uh, there's a, there's, like, there was a running joke, I think, on some podcasts where, he like, he was attached to direct pretty much every movie in the in the 80s at some point. He's, like, <laughs> like the every Leonardo movie where DiCaprio you're like, of 80s directors. It's just, like, you just kind of had to offer it to him. Yeah. Like, he was there at some point. So before he uh, writes and directs his first movie, which is Hard Times, the um, Charles Bronson, James Corbin vehicle, which is very good. He writes a series of movies. I think the, the movie that is the two movies that are known are The Getaway, uh, based off the Jim Thompson novel directed by Sam Peckinpah and The Drowning Pool. Um, directed by Stuart Rosenberg and starring uh, Paul Newman. And I think those are the two movies that kind of get his get his career moving. Um, although The Drowning Pool does come out the same year as Hard Times. So I would assume that The Getaway is really the, the big picture that he writes. Um, and then, of course, right after Hard Times, he does uh, The Driver and The Warriors. So, you know. Starting off pretty strong, I'd say. I was thinking about this today, like the 10 greatest American movies of all time, like just movies like not just like made in America, but movies like kind of that capture the American essence. I feel like the Warriors could be in that conversation. I feel like the driver could also be in that conversation. I don't think I've ever seen the driver. All right. Well. You know Except what? Except when he's fighting don't worry dinosaurs. Hey yo. Hey yo. Uh, don't worry about it. We're gonna get to the driver eventually. Okay. Okay. Uh, very good. Well, I do like me Walter Hill movies, so this is okay. He, you know, ends up having a movie that plays at cons, nominated for the Palm d'Or. He does Southern Comfort, which, from what I've heard, I have not seen, is like a great lost like 80s action film or not lost just like a underrated 80s action film and then he does 48 hours and then the movie we're talking about right now streets of fire after streets of fire though there is a, a while before he's allowed to write and direct <laughs> i mean i'll say this as a guy who was looking at his filmography while this was movie this movie was going on i gotta tell you the the poster for southern comfort has a line across the top that I will tell you is just a real big pull down your pants and show how big your penis is moment. And it just says not since deliverance dot, dot, dot. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> that's, that's, that's enough for me to be like, you have my attention. <laughs> the Blu-ray is already in the mail. <laughs> Keith um, Carradine. Powers Booth, Fred Ward, yes, please. It it certainly is a movie that if you you know are of of the opinion that you really want these just types of movies, yeah, 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 yeah. Well, let's talk about the movie tonight since I think we've given Walter Hill enough of a enough of a thing. So 
Willem Dafoe's character's name is Raven Shattuck. <laughs> and he grabs up Diane Lane's character, who is Ellen Aim, and basically takes her back to his place and is like, I've got Ellen Aim. No one's coming for her. It's, she's my girl now. And I'll tell you, no one seems stoked on Willem Dafoe, probably because he hasn't changed out of those clothes since the Loveless three years ago. He, but he's got a he's got a cool haircut. He's got a cool haircut. He looks like his character from Loveless, but if the character from Loveless, instead of being hollowed out by um, nihilism, uh, was hollowed out by just sheer anger. <laughs> yeah. He is like just looks furious all the time it's great he's very he's very good in this movie and i'll i'll say it again just anytime anyone wants and i hate the fact that the movie inside this weekend did absolutely no business and i want the best for willem dafoe i want that guy to always be in movies i think he is such a talent well good news ben there is a new walter hill movie that just came out called dead for a dollar that stars Christoph Waltz, Willem Dafoe, and Rachel Brosnahan. So I think he'll be fine. And I've got some, I've got some bad news for you. I started that movie, got 15 minutes in, and passed out faster than you can say. Yeehaw! That sounds like that. You know what? That actually sounds like great news for me. <laughs> Tom Cody's on like our Mount Rushmore of badasses in movies that you've given us. But Tom Cody's got a real man with no name vibe. I would say it's him. The guy from Nemesis. Like if I'm putting together a team of badasses to like get someone back from like all the movies you recommended. Let's see. What other movies? Uh, The cop from Blue Vengeance. We'll get to Blue Vengeance. Don't you, don't you worry. Oh, I know, I know. I've got wheels. The first, the, the, the well, just just so I just uh, just to wet the appetite a little bit. Blue Vengeance is, I think, the only movie I would ever call uh, a the loose a loose cannon cop that plays by the rules. It's true. It's that very is a thing that happens in that movie, which is very funny. But yeah, so like Tom Cody comes back to town and his sister, who I guess runs the local like pie shop or something, basically says like they kidnapped your ex-girlfriend. And he's like, well, I don't really care. She's not my girlfriend anymore. And then Rick Moranis shows up and he's like, hey, I'll give you $10,000 if you come and save her for me. I'm, she's my act. I need her. Yeah, it does. It does sort of feel like instead of just like being like, hey, I need you to like save her. It's like. Hey, I need you to save her because <laughs> uh, yeah. she is what makes me money. <laughs> yes, and we need to make, make Rick Moranis feel like a scumbag, which I mean, giving him the name Billy Fish isn't going to seem to be enough, but. Uh, Billy Fish is a great name. It's a great scumbag name. It's just the fact that he's an older man going by Billy. That's very true. That Billy's so, a man. That, yeah, Billy's a yeah. rough, rough name to go by when you're, uh, when you're in your th- seemingly like mid to late twenties. 
it really does feel like you look at Billy the Kid, and you're like, oh, no wonder he was a killing prick. Like, people, his name was Billy. He had to do something to stand out. Yeah, he was also, like, 19 when he died, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. <laughs> um, I've never met a Billy in the, you know, past the age of 28. It's true. And uh, it's him, uh, Rick Moranis' character, Michael Perry's character, Tom Cody, and Amy Madigan, who plays my McCoy, which I gotta tell you, I'm so mad that there's not another movie with Tom Cody and McCoy like getting into more adventures together. Honestly, um, McCoy is great. Um, I believe pretty obviously lesbian coded. Um, oh yeah, yeah, but they, you know, they never overly attack it. No, no, there's uh, a great, there's a great moment between her and his sister where, um, her yes. sister, his sister essentially is just like, no, it's good to bring him down a pick. <laughs> yeah, I don't think anyone's quite aware of what McCoy is. McCoy's great. And McCoy could be anybody. No, it's great. McCoy... Oh, McCoy rocks. Like, McCoy's one of my favorite characters in the in the movie in some ways. Like, just like the fact that like, because that's the other thing, too. One of the things that Hill does so incredibly well, and it's something that you just like you can't teach this like in terms of screenwriting, you just understand it or you don't. Michael Mann understands this too, is that like, he's incredibly like, he makes all of his characters incredibly good at their jobs. Yes. He knows that if someone is, is really good, is just like, is like shown to be very good at their, at their job that immediately the fucking everybody will be like, oh, I want to, I want them to win because they're good at something. They're like really mm-hmm. good at their job, and it's also satisfying to watch someone who's good at their job. Well, because you feel confident as a viewer. Yeah, you're like that person I'll, knows what they're doing. I'll give example last. I'll give example two nights ago. Adam Driver in sixty five. That dude is out of his fucking element in that movie. Good at his job. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, that's all um, you need. Give me a competent character who is someone who knows what they're doing. Even if things go wrong at moments, it's fine. Because things go wrong for Tom Cody and McCoy in this movie. But, like, you never feel like it's out of their control. It's just like, well, the uh, the deck is stacked against them. They're going up against the bombers. There's, like, a hundred of them. They're, they're, they're skipping ahead a little bit. But there's a shot at the end where you see, like, all of the guns come out. And you're like, oh, no. <laughs> it's also an Old West movie kind of mixed in, too, now that I think about it. I mean... Yeah, it's a it's a it's a Walter Hill John. You yeah, know what I mean, he's kind of the action equivalent to Carpenter, even though Carpenter did do some action. Yes, where it's just like, what if it was secretly a western? Where like they can't all secretly be westerns. It's not a secret anymore if you keep saying that. Yeah, what what if they just what if it was? Yeah, that's very true. And so they go to find her. They take Billy Fish along with them. And Billy Fish is like, I'll give you 10 grand. He tells McCoy, he goes, I'll give you a grand if you come along out of my 10 grand. And they go into bomber territory and it's it's not good. And let me tell you, Willem Dafoe is not pleased that they snatch her back. Listen, a lot of bad things happen to bombers. It's very, very true. I do love that moment where he tells them like, you guys take off. I'm going to stick around here and distract him. And then just like Tom Cody beats an acre of ass till he gets to Willem Dafoe. Who's like, I'm coming for you. He goes, you took the woman. I'm not pleased about this. Dafoe and Cody kind of make this like stupid, 
dumbass masculine masculine pact where it's like all right you and me fuck it we're fighting oh that they're a hundred percent gay for each other that's the other reason tom cody wants nothing to do with so absolutely i was gonna say the the fucking erotic tension between the two well i love to that like this movie is called a rock, like a rock folktale or whatever they call it. A rock they kind of forget a rock fable. They kind of forget about it halfway through, and it just becomes an action movie, and then it picks up again at the end. Oh right, this is about a rock band. Hey, whoa, wait, oh wait a minute. <laughs> Did Meatloaf write any of the songs? Because they all feel very Meatloaf inspired. No, but they were written by Meatloaf's writing part- partner, Jim I fucking knew it. Sheridan. I fucking knew it. He wrote, I believe, two of the songs, and both of them are it's the, the songs that bookend uh, the movie. He wrote the opening and closing songs um, and Streets of Fire. Um, yeah, you can tell. Originally, Streets of Fire was supposed to, it was supposed to be the Bruce Springsteen song, uh, but that song is very sad so they replaced it to with um tonight is what it means to be young which was written by jim steinman who passed away but is um best known for being one of the collaborators on meatloaf with meatloaf on bat out of hell and bat out of hell 2 back into hell god bat out of hell great song great album too actually I mean, yeah, Paradise by the Dashboard Light. I think that's Bad Out of Hell. It is. Great song. Two out of three ain't bad. A Hot Summer Night. Man, there's just a bunch of bangers on that album. Yeah, um, mostly written by Meatloaf and composed by Steinman. So, accomplished songwriter, Jim Steinman. Well, that's good to know. I'm glad that actually resonated. I'm sure he'd be happy to be like, yeah, I did do those other things that you're thinking of when you hear this music. So it kind of comes down to a big gang fight where Tom Cody is pretty much told by Raven Shattuck, hey, there's going to be a fight tomorrow. You better be there. If not, I'm going to burn this whole city to the ground. (laughs) Um, And then the police, there's a police officer that is like, don't be there tomorrow. If you're there tomorrow, I'm arresting you. Um, and yeah, the movie sort of forgets the, the musical aspect of it for like, I gotta say like almost a whole hour. (laughs) Don't care. think it still works. Uh, They made a doo-wop group. I think we should talk about some of the, yes. This is where it gets back to the warriors. Like, cause like the first part of the movie is she gets snatched. Part two, if there's four parts of this movie, part two is they go get her. Part three is getting back to safe territory, and then part four is the fight. Yes. Um, and you meet a lot of characters along the way. You got Bill Pullman's in there. He plays Clyde, who's an idiot, and we love him. There's the second in command for Willem uh, Dafoe. Who is Greer? Did you recognize the actor of Greer? Who the fuck is that? So that's leaving, best known to hardcore punks as the lead singer of Los Angeles-based hardcore punk band Fear, known for great songs of uh, as uh, oh. New York is all right if you like saxophones. But he is 
also in two other movies, including this one, where he plays a big character. The first movie is Flashdance, where he plays the topless club owner, Johnny C. And the other is he plays the murder victim, Mr. Body, in the murder mystery film, Clue. That's why he looked familiar. I looked him up just now, and I was like, oh, yeah, he's Mr. Body. Especially that shot at the end where he tells them all, like, disperse. Yes. Yeah, where he, that that's that's the one where you kind of look at him and go, oh, yeah, that's that's him for sure. Yeah, I to me, he was always known as the guy who did, uh, the you know, the record and the songs like Let's Have a War and I Love Living in the City and uh, I Don't Care About You. Um. All great punk songs um, in their own right. Uh, great album. He became friends with uh, John Belushi because of it. And because of that, sort of just ended up having friends in the the industry. I mean, he his first credited role is in 1981's American Pop is a fucking weird movie if you've never seen it uh directed by ralph batchke it's like an animated film and yeah he pops movies. up in in you know nightmares and a couple other things but american pop weird movie uh it was supposed to be a jukebox musical half the movie was filmed and then like the budget got halved it's a it's a sad <laughs> and weird story um <laughs> so you know it's a story for another time, but yeah, leaving is in there. Bill Paxton is in there. Richard Lawson, I think plays one of the cops. It's a who's who of who's that, you know what I mean? It's like, it's just a lot of people where it's like, I know that guy from somewhere, right? It is like everyone in it. You're just like, why do I know you? And I'll say it when Bill Paxton gets punched the first time and then like, it keeps happening. I'm like, God, I hope this joke continues the entire movie. I he just he just looks like that type of guy, you know. Like a well, he runs his mouth at the wrong people, and then they just whoop his ass. Yeah, and but he has a great moment at the end where he gets the whole everybody to rally. He does. Yeah. Anyway, um, yes, the bikers are mad. There's gonna be a fight. The city's gonna get burned down. Tom is basically like, I'm going to leave. Um, at one point, he hits. He hits Ellen um, in a really weird scene where you're like, oh, I kind of don't like this guy anymore. Um, <laughs> and yeah, they have their duel with sledgehammers. Tom That's, wins. Why Why sledgehammers? Because they fucking hurt. I don't know. It looks <laughs> it looks so dangerous and scary. Um, them just swinging sledgehammers at each other. Well, it's um, weird, though, because like they're bikers. And I was sitting there and I was like, he goes, he goes, I got something special for this. And you're like, oh, William Defoe is going to break out a couple switchblades. And then he just pulls out a sledgehammer and you're like, what? Like, why? It's terrifying. Um, And. Yeah, I think it I think it works because you're like, man, that's fucking scary shit. But you're like, you know, it'd kind of be cool if someone got hit with a sledgehammer. All I can think of is just the the or the music from Cable Guy, do, 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 just him circling each other. <laughs> a little bit, yeah, a little bit. But yeah, Tom's victorious. It's like one of those like weird victoriouses where like everybody is just like, well, I guess our friend got the shit kicked out of him. So I I don't know. 
yeah, they they kind of fuck off, but you know that they're not gone forever. Um, we never. That's why we should have gotten Streets of Fire too. There was supposed to be two more Streets of Fire movies. Stop it! Was there yes. really? Oh. There was. There was supposed to be two more Tom Cody movies. Oh uh, come on! What? Yeah, they're, they're technically one was supposed to be called The Far City, and the second one was supposed to be called Cody's Return. I think it's uh, one of the reasons why the main guy in this movie feels so like I don't know, like he's acting in something way above its station. Like he really feels like he's like, no, this is going to be like an Oscar. Perform- like this is my, this is the big thing. Oh, oh. <laughs> I just feel like he was on set and he goes, guys, guys, I'm not going to win an Oscar for this. And everyone kind of relaxed. He goes, they're going to nominate me for the first one. Now the second one and the third one. Well, let's just say what Al Pacino couldn't do in the Godfather one and two, I will accomplish in two and three. <laughs> like basically, That's in like my he- head how that, perf- that went. He, it, it feels like in his head the entire time, he's like, I'm going to build a wing for all of the Emmys and all of the trophies I win for this fucking movie. Um, and everybody else is like, no, 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 this is like, not like cable fodder, because cable really didn't exist. But they're like, this is a cult movie. Like, this is going to be, <laughs> like, people will like it, but, you know, it might there might be some rough sledding. Like... <laughs> You know, like, I'm not, I don't think this is going to win me a, like a billion dollars, you know. Um, but yeah, there were supposed to be. I don't like it. I love it. <laughs> there were supposed to be sequels. Um, there eventually became an unofficial sequel directed by the guy who did Nemesis in 2008. Albert Poon did um, Road to Hell, which brought back. Perry as Tom Cody and Deborah Van Valkenburg playing his sister. Not fair. Just not not fair. fair. Not fair. Um, but yeah, this movie. It. It. Yeah, it just it didn't perform pretty well. It actually fared pretty poorly. At the box office, uh, only making back about eight million of its fourteen million dollar budget, which is not like a spectacular failure, but it's definitely not good. But it was, it just I don't yeah I don't know it just didn't really seem like a movie that was gonna. It's a movie that fucking rules, but I just Ugh. don't think it's a movie that's gonna play well to the mass market. Much like the second film we'll talk about. So fucking good. Oh, it is. Yeah, no, it's very good. It was so fucking well done. And it saddens me there are not sequels to this because, goddamn, I'd be like, well, next week we're just going to go do the two sequels to to this movie. Oh, yes. and yeah. And the, on, the only thing that satisfies me about our next movie in terms of like wanting more is you don't really you can't have more in the next movie. No, no. Luckily, the next movie just kind of it. It, there would be no more <laughs> nope can't do it um be a much much bleaker is, is there anything else that we need to talk about this movie i'm trying to think off the top of my head i think it's hysterical that willem defoe's character gets pushed down and that's the end of his fight like he takes such a beating and then tom cody kind of just runs over and pushes him over yes yeah 
I I think that's just kind of also just uh, the 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 bikers kind of cl- like uh, uh, cloistering around the around him and just sort of like we're just gonna we're just gonna we're just gonna take him you know we're just gonna take him don't worry about it it should have fucking been like that's the next movie is you have like you have like rave oh, so okay so like Tom Cody movie he leaves town it's him and McCoy. The next movie's like a is like an incidental like middle movie where like they're off on their own adventure. And if the if the third one's called Cody's Return, you have him return to the city and you have the new main villain be Billy Fish, but Raven is working for him. In my head, and I don't I don't know there's not much about it out there. But I believe it was supposed to kind of be similar to the Blondie trilogy, the Leone, Clint Eastwood, Man with No Name movies. Yes, the Dollars trilogy. The Dollars trilogy, which is, uh, for those who don't know, it's a fistful of dollars. Uh, no, it's uh, for a few. What is it? No, you had it right. For a fistful, fistful of dollars, of dollars, a few for... dollars more, and the good, bad, and the ugly. Yeah, man, though this was just so much fun. I don't know, too, like, it's it's a movie, too, where, like, I know I watched it, like, start to finish, but I can't wait to go back and rewatch it and see all the little things I wasn't noticing. Yeah, there's, 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 there's definitely just, because, you know, Hill's that type of filmmaker. Oh, um, yeah. I will say there's a very beautiful, a very beautiful uh, 4K uh, HDR Blu-ray that just came out, so. Ooh, good to know. For those who have it and want it, it's it looked incredible. But yeah, this is very much a cult film, very much of the of the cult variety. And if there isn't anything more that we need to say, then Ben, I'd like to ask you, what is your elevator pitch for this movie? Let me tell you, you get on this elevator, you better bring yourself a shotgun because... Tom Cody's on that elevator. You're definitely going to have to shoot a bunch of people. And if you just want to watch Tom Cody beat an acre of ass for 90 minutes, this is your movie. It's called Streets of Fire. And there's music in it, too. That song at the beginning fucking whips. Oh, it's great. It puts you into the movie. Like, I don't think Diane Lane has, like, great stage presence when it comes to, like, performing in that song. But goddamn... That song fucking rules, man. Yeah, it does. It's a good song. And, and the, the thing is, too, they incorporate it by putting it into the movie. It's not just playing in the background. No, it, it's it's not like diegetic. It's like it's like a musical, you know? <laughs> yeah. But what would you pair this with? Probably the Warriors, actually. I think the Warriors would be a solid pairing. I also yeah. think... Yeah, the Warriors is probably the best. You could maybe do like Last Man Standing, or you know, I think a good, I think a good pairing would be um, this and Yojimbo. Uh, oh yeah, that would be good. Or you know, Fistful of Dollars. They're the same movie. It is true, and some um, people were sued over that. And you know, someone was sued over that. You know, there was there was lawyers and settlements and all sorts of stuff. But yeah, lastly, before we move on to the next movie, what do you give Streets of Fire? Four out of five. Four out of five. I also give it 
I think I'm going to bump it up. No, four out of five. I think this is a movie with with a lot of room to grow, though. I think this is a movie that, you know, you come back to me 10 years and I might just be like, yeah, it's a five. Yeah, I could see that. Yeah, it's it's a lot of fun. More movies should start with another time, another place, you know? It's true. It does it does take you out of the time and place you're in now and put you there. You ready to take us on to the main event and what a main yes. event it is? Well, it is definitely a main event uh, of some variety. Um, you texted me. What did you text me when this movie started? Ben, do you remember? Ha 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 ha. Music by Tangerine Dream. Let's fucking go. Yes, baby. Um, and boy, is this movie got music by Tangerine Dream. It, the, I think the soundtrack to this movie was, for a long time, I think, more known than the movie. Like, Tangerine Dream has released millions of soundtracks, but man, this one's real good. Anyway, this is an apocalyptic thriller film written and directed by two-time director Steve DeJohnett. Starring Anthony Edwards and Mayor Wingingham. And it depicts the panic surrounding a supposed doomsday brought on by a sudden outbreak of war and an upcoming nuclear holocaust. But wait, it's actually secretly a romance movie from 1988, written and directed by Steve uh, DeYarnot, with music from Tangerine Dreams and distributed by the little known. Hemdale Film Corporation is, of course, from 1988, Miracle Mile. talking about i'm talking about nuclear fucking war who is this oh where's my dad go get my dad your dad there's nobody here where's he supposed to be how the hell would i know you're in orange county i'm in north dakota hey is this some kind of prank or something Uh, yeah, 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 it is. But it, listen, it, it's just a phone booth. It, it's, a, it's a phone booth at a coffee shop. I, I heard it ringing. Is this 714? Did I dial 213? Shit! Oh. Uh, I think they heard me. Shit. Oh, man, they see me on the monitor. Fuck. Uh, and I patched into the red line XCOM to do this. Look, they're gonna nail my ass. Tell Dad. Just tell him that I am sorry about that summer. All right, all right, look, that's enough. Just tell anyone. This is a joke, right? Yes, sir. No. No, sir, I, I was just checking the circuit, sir. Wait. Wait! 
Listen, it's probably a felony to joke around on the phone like this. Who are you? Who am I? Listen, I'm just a guy who, who picked up the phone. I mean, I don't know if this is a, if this is a wrong phone number or a, or a joke or what. What, what happened to Chip? He, he was just joking, right? Forget everything you just heard and go back to sleep. Hey! Hey! How'd you find this? So there was going to be, all right, that's a little inside baseball, but there was going to be, um, I was going to go to a double feature of, of this director's movies. Um, they were both supposed to be on 35. It was this and his first film, Cherry 2000, which is like a sci-fi thing. And I don't know like anything other than that about it. They were both supposed to play on 35 millimeter, but I think I'm trying to remember if it got canceled or if I couldn't, go. I think I couldn't go. I think I, I think I didn't have tickets. I think I had to work or something and I was very sad about it. But this guy, the guy who wrote this movie was originally prior to the movie cherry 2000 which is the one that he directed um he was the writer for the rick moranis vehicle strange brew that was probably his best known credit at the time and so yeah i i wanted to be there i'd heard of miracle mile through the grapevine of like oh it's this great little weird movie (laughs) from the 80s that kind of has this vibe uh, that I would describe as Twin Peak like, but like before Twins Twin Peaks exists. People just yeah no I just saw people online just be like this movie's great I put it on the radar it's been on my watch list forever and like I said, uh, been meaning to meaning to buy it meaning been meaning to watch it I should say. Man, like I'm I'm glad we finally did because man, dude, like I I sat down to watch this movie. Let's see, so she was coming back from California yesterday. I got home early from work and she shot me a text being like, I think I'm going to be home at 845 in about two hours. I said, that's perfect. I said, this movie's like an hour and 25 minutes. I said, I'll bang this out. I'm going to do this. I said, I'm not going to get distracted. I'm going to like have something to drink, wake myself up and like really watch this movie. And within 10 minutes of this movie being on, I was like, I could have had nothing. In fact, I could have taken a downer and I still would have been like watching this movie as intently as I had. Because I'll I'll say it, even though this movie does not have the budget to do what it wants to do all the time, the person who's executing this premise believes in this premise so wholeheartedly, they don't try to ever deviate from it. When that phone call comes across, like you're into that movie or you're turning that movie off. Yes, because the, I will say the that is that is the turn at the end of the second act or the end of the first act and the the beginning of the second act. If someone like put a gun to my head and was like, "You need to describe like not like a perfect script, but just a script that really does what it does." so good man i would probably pick miracle mile because it just everything about it 
the it the the way it wrongfoots you by setting it up as a romance as as this like very wonderful little romantic opening and then him like forgetting like like his like fucking apartment building going out uh of of it like has the same vibe as after hours i think is a really good way to describe it and the other thing about it too like is the fact that it does wrong foot you into thinking it's one thing but it's funny to bring it back to 65 this is also another 90 minute twilight zone episode you know you say that ben this movie for a period of time was supposed to be the twilight zone movie doesn't not add up it's kind of a perfect it's a perfect that's the other thing i like about it too it's a perfect setup movie like i love movies that give you one premise like this is m night Shyamalan all over what if there's a beach where you get old mm-hmm. what if you got a phone call one day and it just like honestly fuck it man let m night Shyamalan remake miracle mile what if you got you were told you had 70 minutes to to do to like and that's it you just got 70 minutes like what would you do one and, of the things oh, that goes so well with that 70 minutes and like what they pitched you is how it spreads like a sickness yeah it feels so reminiscent of like a zombie apocalypse but with no zombies but with no zombies it's just it's just it shit just falls apart as it becomes more and more real. And I, I think what I think the, the most genius stripe of this movie is the fact that for roughly 30 minutes, you are unsure as to whether or not it's actually happening. Thank you. Right. It's so hard to tell if it's actually real. Cause there's a moment in this movie where I swear to God, I sat there and I was like, I don't know if it's real. Like I like you realize as you go through the movie, you're like, wait, it could just be bullshit. Yeah, it could just be bullshit. And then all of a sudden, it's just like the way that people. At the, okay, so like essentially the diner scene, I think, is what <sighs> this movie is very good. And I, I want people, before we really start to delve into it, I want people to go and, and check it out. It's on Pluto. It's on it's on a very good quality on Pluto, too. It's in HD. Um, if you are okay with, with, you know, having it interrupted by the commercials, you could also rent it. It's it's on it's on Amazon, all of that. I, I have a feeling a lot of people have never heard of this movie because it is a cult of like a deep in the fucking ground cult film. So if you've never heard of Miracle Mile and you want want to check it out, please go watch it. It is very, very good. That being said, turning it on, I was like, the first five minutes, I was like, I'm fucking in. And then there's multiple moments in the movie where, like, it'll just do, like, one, it'll do, like, a one or, like, it'll just, like, find a really creative way to build a scene. And I'm just like, how is this not a fucking American classic? Well, too, it's also like once you accept the world that you're in and things just start happening, almost everything in that movie or anything that could happen in that movie feels acceptable because you are set into this premise. Mm-hmm. 
trying to think of a way to break this down in a way that makes sense. But I think once he gets that phone call and he like the diner stuff starts happening, that's really when like you're like, oh, fuck, it's a different movie. (laughs) Um, It really is like the from dusk till dawn of apocalypse movies where you're sitting there and you're like, these two are in love. I hope this works out. Oh, he missed seeing her. They'll connect tomorrow. Phone call. And you're like, oh, shit. Oh, it's real bad. Oh, it's all it's all gone bad. Yeah, it it kind of comes out of nowhere when that turn comes. It's kind of it's like, whoa, all right, that's interesting. And then like it continues, and you're just like, oh fuck, like this is where they're going. And the movie is essentially a guy just trying to help and get help, and is hindered by like various people. And just people around him just start dying. I think the first and one of the most important people is Wilson, who we didn't mention, is played by Niketi Williamson, who I think is best known for, uh, you know, he had some small roles. He's probably best known as the, as Bubba, as Bubba from Forrest Gump. That is him, isn't it? Yes, he is also in Streets of Fire as he plays BJ, one of the doo-wop band members. Uh. So, you know, weird connection, you know, I'll take credit for it. But in this movie, he plays a character named Wilson who... (sighs) Okay, so I'm going to run through the plot really quick. He, the guy gets the phone call. Our, our boy, uh, Henry, Harry Washello, played by Anthony Edwards, gets a phone call that there's going to be a, like a nuclear attack. A guy thinks he's calling his father. He's not. He ends up accidentally calling the diner payphone. Harry realizes like, oh, that's that's kind of weird. And then the guy who calls it, whose name is Chip, realizes he dialed the wrong number and then gets found out and gets shot. Um, and then someone picks up the phone and tells Harry just to forget everything he heard and go back to sleep. Harry does not take this information well and walks into the diner and essentially he starts telling the story and like the, the patrons are like, "Mm, it is four o'clock in the morning in Los Angeles. Kind of a weird time to be telling us the story, but there is a patron by the name of Landa. He's played by Denise Crosby, who believes them and who has hires a, who has um, friends in Washington and finds that they're all heading to the Southern Hemisphere. And boom, new movies starting to happen, guys. So everybody in that diner, um, including Fred the Line Cook, who's played by Robert DeCroix, uh, best known as one of the characters in Coffee. He's also in Nashville. Um, he's in RoboCop, you know great that guy type character actor all of the patrons get into a truck and take off and uh, our boy harry is like no i can't leave julie who is mayor winningham's character can't leave her behind i know she's mad at me but we gotta go and so he goes picks her up and then the rest of the movie is just a series of unfortunate events that befall this man it's weird to say this, but I feel like a good chunk of the inspiration for Shaun of the Dead was pulled from this movie. Yeah, I can see that. This is part of the genre, I think it's called Man Has the Worst Day He's Ever Had. Yeah. 
that's a pretty solid name also that you could have called this. Yeah, similar to After Hours where it's just a guy just having a terrible day. You described this as the apocalypse after hours, right? Basically, yes. You're not wrong. That was an excellent description. Yeah, what if after hours, instead of a guy trying to get laid and the girl that he was trying to get laid with dying, like, what if instead of that, it's just he's trying to meet a girl and then the end of the world happens? Oh, man, there's so many people in this. Like, Kurt Fuller's in this. He's so good. He's great in his weird little, like, run. There is this guy, Brian Earl Thompson, who's only really known. He his I think he's most known as the Night Slasher in Cobra. He plays the helicopter pilot. Um, and he has like a a cute trans girlfriend that he brings out. And he's like, Oh, I gotta take Leslie with me. And the movie like makes no qualms about it. You know, Harry just kinda like looks no. at Leslie and then looks at him, is like, all right. Like, I'm not, you know, I'm not going to fucking stare at, I'm not going to stare at the helicopter pilot, you know, a gift helicopter pilot in the in the mouth. Also, you're being really unfair. Brian Thompson also played Shao Kahn in Mortal Kombat Annihilation. One Brian of the Thompson ever made. did also play Shao Kahn. I mean. Right. He's easily also in the Expendables. Top... He is, yeah. No, well, he's, he's a Stallone guy. Excuse me. With a parody of the Expendables. That's wonderful. Um, That's right. He's also in the tragedy of Macbeth from the from Joel Cohen. He yeah, he's all over the place. Um, he's a character actor. He's yeah, he's a that guy. He Shao Kahn. You're right. He's he is Shao Kahn. He's also in Dragonheart. So you know, excuse me, Steve Dejarnet never worked again, huh? No, he uh, has one more writing credit. Um, I'm not entirely sure if like this movie broke him or if he just like never got another chance. But what I do know is that this, like, script was, has had been in Hollywood for roughly a decade at the point that it, you know, it eventually got greenlit. And it's not like development hell. It's kind of like what The Blacklist is now, back then, American Film and the American Film Institute basically said it was like one of the best 10 unmade screenplays passing around Hollywood. Essentially what happened is DeYarnett was like, I want to direct it. Um, I know it's a good script. It's a great script. I can make it a great movie. Essentially he spent three years trying to, to get it um, into production or no, it spent three years in production limbo. Eventually he bought it himself he rewrote it and then the studio offered him like triple the amount that he bought. He optioned it for to get the movie back. And he was just like, no, essentially there was a period of time where it was going to be the twilight zone, the movie like script, like it was going to be the shooting script for that. Not entirely sure what happened there, but apparently when Spielberg got on the yarn, there there was some friction he did not like what spielberg was trying to do with the movie essentially for a long period of time he turned everyone down because they they kind of wanted to smooth out some of its weirder edges make it you know less focused on the romance and more on the nuclear war and you, you know oh. they, they 
didn't, you know, or if they wanted to keep the romance, they didn't want the downbeat ending. And no, so eventually, John Daly of Hamdell Films, the fucking hero, a legend, steps up, gives DRN at 3.7 million. And hey, it's a great movie. It works, man. I mean, I don't even want to say favorite scene because I think the whole thing is kind of my favorite scene. But it's the phone call. It, the phone call is, is fantastic. We didn't. Um... So, you know who we haven't talked about in this movie? Whom's? Anthony Edwards. Anthony Edwards. Um, if you don't know that name, if that is not a name that that off the top of your head, you're like, who is that? He has been in so many things, but most notably, he was on the first eight seasons of ER. I mean, he's Goose. Uh, yeah, he's Goose. He's Goose. Yeah, he's yeah. literally the whole reason Top Gun Maverick happens. Yeah, no, I know, I know he's Goose. I know he's Goose. I'm just goose. Goose. It's great. He's great. He's great in Goose. But I'm just saying, ER for anybody over the age of fifty, eh, forty, ER means a lot to them. It's very true. People do love that. And also, too, for you and me, because this means more to us than both of those projects. He's the other detective in Zodiac. He is the other detective in Zodiac. He's Inspector William Armstrong. He is in a lot of incredible things. It's just, him and Elias Coteus for who's like who pops up in more stuff. You'll just watching, you know, like a 90s just run of the mill, whatever, like dead heat. Bam! He's in it. And you're like, whoa, he's in yeah. it. It's kind of crazy. Um, Dead Heat. Is that the one about the cops who find that, like, regenerative formula? That is. I misread it. I meant Delta Heat. I meant to say the I wanted to say the client. Do you know what the client is? I don't know the client. It's a Joel Schumacher, Susan Sarandon, Tom and Lee Jones, Mary Lee. Oh, Lee's I've heard of this movie. movie, but I've never seen it. It's whatever, but our boy is in it, and he's like the... 45th person build. <laughs> it's oh, one of those wonderful. movies where you're just like, William H. Macy is like 10th build? Will Patton is... Jesus, look like, how many fucking people are in this. Will Patton's like not even in the fucking... With credit here? He's just like a random guy? And then you're like, wild. you're telling look me Dan it. Castanella isn't even in the cast listing? He's, you got. I gotta wait until the end? God damn, that's insane. I will say the moment where he like, I mean, yeah, it's the phone call is the best scene in this movie to be sure. But the other part of it is, is this anyone who said you need to cut down the romance is fucking wrong. The only reason this movie works is because of the romance. I'm waiting for a bing to come on the other end of the line. Is your phone silence? I think so. Yeah. Did you get a text message from me? I might have. You should. I did. What do you take of that poster? That's a poster, all right. What is this? <laughs> it's a movie called Charlie's Ghost Story, which stars Anthony Edwards and Cheech Marin. Stop it. Stop whatever this monstrous thing is that you've sent me. I wish I hadn't seen it. Anyway. <laughs> oh, I wish I wish I hadn't seen that Cheech Marin movie. I, I would say if, if I were to pick a scene that isn't the phone call scene... And isn't the beginning and isn't, you know, one of the many great scenes. I would say it is, it's a two-pronger. 
It's when Harry starts to wonder if he's like a example of Chicken Little. Where he's like him being like, oh, maybe I kind of fucked up and now everybody's, yeah. gonna, you know. I think that's really good. And the other the other one is when he calls Chip's father. Um, and he realizes it's all real. And then it's like, it's all real. Not only is it all real, but like that guy understands it's real. Like before he even gets to passing on the message. Like that guy's like, yeah, my son's a solar soldier at a missile silo. And then it's like, ah, oh, fuck. Like, <laughs> like mm, there's a reason I'm getting this phone call. You don't hear it. You don't hear him do anything. You just he just hung, he just hangs up, and so in my my head canon, he hangs up because he knows that it's like fuck. We got, I gotta go. You're not wrong. His inability to like believe whether it is real or not, and when he finally finds out that it is, like just the wave of panic that comes over him, that just and it's like it it seems like the movie almost kicks it up a notch there too, like it's... in the insanity. It's when he first hears it, his reaction is the same way that I would assume seeing Cthulhu in real life would be like, where you're just like, that's not real. You know what I mean? Like your brain's just like, I cannot, that's too fucking insane for this to possibly be actually happening. Like for me, for, for the nuclear attack to be happening and for me to just randomly pick up the phone. Impossible. And then, and then it, it like, everything starts to click in and you're like oh oh no oh yeah it's great i think the ending is perfect anybody who had any qualms about the downer ending which i don't really want to go into i want people to watch this i think you're wrong uh i think it's a great ending. 100 i think this is one of the best first date movies ever made one of the best first date movies ever made yeah, I would say first or second date. I think it's, I think it's fantastic. It's pretty great, actually. Because it's just so romantic. Oh, they're in love with each other. Absolutely, and it, not just them. Like I think people die tragically. I think Wilson is the biggest example. But there are so many people in the movie, like you know julie's parents or the helicopter pilot with their love interest that the movie just keeps finding new and different ways to like reiterate its point of like this just romantic core oh yeah Uh, the scene where the two old people are in the car and they're just like no we're we're not running we're just gonna we've we just have a lot that moment is so good it's like it's like if you know I could see myself in a movie theater if I've had a beer like that movie you know some tears coming up you know what I mean like it's just so sweet and so sentimental and you just don't expect it in a in a movie like this No you don't you're given this yeah, because it's about the movie's about second chances at its core Yep Yeah and it works and it's just it is very sweet it's oh, it's it is very sweet and um i yeah i don't really know if there's anything else unless there's anything else you want to say about it no man that's this this movie just works 
I mean, my elevator pitches, guys, do you want to see something that I didn't? I I mean, I thought I thought I was like, he's going to have to do a lot to top Streets of Fire because I really enjoyed Streets of Fire. And then he made then he found a movie that's even better than Streets of Fire. And it's called Miracle Mile. You know, sometimes you you take a you take a hot chance on something and it really fucking works. It does. It really, really does. What would you pair Miracle Mile with? Uh, this is the end. Mm. The, the, can you explain this? This is the end? Oh, this is the end. I don't know why, but I thought the movie's name, the title was The End. But yes, this, yeah, no, this is the end would work actually pretty well. Um, right. Especially as like a second, as like a second feature, because it, you know, most of it yeah. takes place after the end. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I guess that leaves us to do ratings, correct? Four and a half. Yeah. Yeah. Four and you a half. You can say five. Maybe, You're not wrong. Maybe even five. Yeah, for me, it's four and a half right now because it's the first viewing and I'm trying not to give anything a five on a, on a first viewing unless it's just like stone cold. Like, there's no denying it, but like. You've had two, man, out of your last two that are both, like, super close to fives. Like, Come and See and Miracle Mile are both, like, movies where I'm like, Jesus Christ. Like, these are incredible. I'm also very resident to be, like, five stars first time watching because I just, I think there's, you know, you rewatch it and go, oh, wait a minute. But, ah, man. Ah, here, you know. Yeah, it's it works. really good. It's really fucking good, guys. <sighs> okay, I mean, the only question left to ask is, what are we doing next week? Next week, we are back in uh, Ben's closet of movies. And uh, I I wanted to continue a thread from the week prior. However, if you've listened to last week's episode, you understand and know that that is not exactly what is happening. But... <laughs> I like my pairing enough to keep it. Um, and the pairing is we're going to start with the Sean Connery. Have we done a Sean Connery movie before this? We had to have, right? At some point. Yeah, he's in Murder on the Orient Express. Yeah, he is in, he is in that. Um, we are doing the 1981 Peter Ham's Sean Connery, Peter Boyle, and Francis Sturgheim retelling of High Noon. That's right. 1981 vehicle Outland. Oh, no, no. Outland is actually a documentary about the kid who yells Outlander in Children of the Corn. Different movie. No, I'm just kidding. It is Outland. I would be I would not mad. I guess I wouldn't be mad. I would just be like, I don't know how this keep keeps happening. Um, it's only happened once. It's only happened once. Uh, but if it happened a second time, I'd be like, oh, God, all right. Um, and then we're going to follow it up with a master's film starring Gary Sinise, Tim Robin, Don Cheadle, Connie Nielsen, Jerry O'Connell, and Kim Delaney. That's right. We are following up with the 2000 Brian De Palma. Oh, it is a disaster piece called Mission to Mars. We once spoke of doing a double called 
misses by masters. I think the second movie mission to Mars could easily fall into that category. Yes. It has its defenders and I'm not saying it doesn't, but it does just looking at it right now. It has, I believe a 25% Rotten Tomatoes, a 4.1 on IMDb and a cinema scale of the most damning and worst cinema score of a C minus. Ooh. Ooh. That C minus is rough. Yeah. Yeah, that is rough. And we have done another Sean Connery movie. He made it onto a Mount Rushmore for The Rock for the Michael Bay Mount Rushmore. That's right. God, how do I always forget about The Rock? It's a great movie, man. But at the same time, too, it's a movie that's weirdly lost to time for some odd reason or another. I love that movie. I think it was on my list. That my my brain just paints over that movie anytime I'm done watching it. It's not even like there's someone in it, too, who's like a Kevin Spacey where you're like, well, that's why it's out of my head. No, it's just my brain's just like, I don't need to retain any of that information. True. You're like, someone will remind me of The Rock. I just need to know it's good, you know? Oh, man. Well, I'm excited. Outland and Mission to Mars. I have never seen either of these movies. I love High Noon, so if it's just Space High Noon, fucking A. Guess what, Ben? It's Space it's High just... Noon. Nah, no, that's what I've heard. Do not forsake me, oh my space darling. I just hope that's the same song, but they just add future stuff into it. I I would love that. Yeah, right. Quite frankly, just Sean Connery with a shotgun on like some planet, just fighting off rustlers. Fuck yeah! And then there's Mission to Mars, a movie that I think you and I are going to put on our boot kicking or our shit kicking boots to start with and who knows maybe we'll come back and be like you know mission mars is not as bad as people make that movie out to be you know it it is De palma so there is like a very distinct possibility that i like it i'd say it's 60 40 i think there's 60 percent chance it's gonna suck 40 percent chance it doesn't suck yep or yeah. like it's a split decision you know or like one of us yeah. is like man this is a fucking turkey and the other one is like eh, it's got his moments I feel you're going to be the uh, it's got its moments guy that you know that seems to be me more often than not weirdly it's very it's very very true well guys of course come back next week for Outland and Mission to Mars and you can of course follow us at all of our antics on Instagram at TWGTF pod you can of course follow me at ET critic or excuse me empty theater critic 87 on uh letterbox you can follow me at movie loving lucha 87 on Instagram. Tyler, is there anywhere they can follow you? Uh, you can follow me returning to my hometown of Richmond. And for TWGTF, Two White Guys Talking Film, I've of course been your host, Ben. And I've been McCoy. And remember, guys, you come to our little video box around the way and you see two guys just circling each other with sledgehammers? Well, they're settling a gang dispute. Let them settle it. You know, everywhere I go, it's always an asshole. Talking, 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 talking.